0: Because you don't have the intubation sheet. I'm going to explain to you what we're going to do. We're going to be looking at three little sections within this letter. Under three little headings. First of all, a world in crisis. And then the church in crisis. And then lastly, our fellowship in crisis. I've got a question mark after that. But nonetheless, the world in crisis the church in crisis and our fellowship in crisis and a question mark, as I say, after that. But nonetheless, uh, it is there. So let's hear together from 2 Timothy and we're going to read from chapter 3. Paul's second letter of Timothy chapter 3. And as you look that up, Second Timothy is probably Paul's last letter <laughs> that he wrote. He, he wrote these, they're known as the pastoral epistles. That's a very fancy name to me because they are above everything else, Paul's final words of encouragement to the next generation of believers, okay? So he's writing to Timothy. He talks about Timothy as a young man and he commends this young man and encourages this young man and the churches he's responsible for. He's wanting to encourage, to ensure, of course, that the church will continue to grow down through the generations. And they're done with a pastor's heart. Um, Not primarily doctrinal in the sense of, you know, gritty theology, although it is there, but with a pastor's heart. He desires Timothy and the next generation of believers to Prosper in the things of God. But to do this, he's he's being realistic about the challenge that the church faces. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and reading from verse 1. Paul writes, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive They are the kind who wander their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jans and Jambri opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Amen. And may God indeed give us understanding as we hear his word together. Last Saturday evening, in the hotel that we were staying in, in Madeira, we went downstairs to listen to A pianist on a Saturday night. It's a relatively small hotel that we stayed in a couple of times. I kind of commend it to you. Elizabeth will give you the details, but this is not a plug for a particular um, hostelry. But nonetheless, it is a a lovely setting. And on the Saturday evening, they they bring in a a pianist, a, a tremendous fellow who sat for three hours, three hours, two hours, two hours, three hours, and just played. He did have his phone and obviously had things on his phone, and he had one or two bits of music lying on top of the, the grand piano. So it was a grand, baby grand piano. But nonetheless, he just played many of the songs you would record songs from the shows, some classical pieces that were given a slightly more modern thing. Just a lovely setting. There we were with the winged arm, just a sign of, you know, golden age breaks, really. Um, there we are, sitting in our armchairs, you're doing whatever you're doing, and I'm reading my book. Uh, and, and, uh, and your cuteness, I say, very nice. The gardens, the them, all, very nice. But the book I was reading was about Italy in the 1920s and 30s. There's a strange interest your minister has. But particularly, and I, and I wish I'm not good with names of pieces of music, it was a well known piece of music, a, a beautiful piece of music. You know, I always think it was a Puccini's music, Room with a View of the Film, and that, you know, Madam Butterfly, that kind of thing. Beautiful piece of music. But what I was reading was not beautiful. Actually, it actually was set in one of the places in Italy we have been, one of the lakes we have visited. And it was telling the story of how, and this is actually not in the 1920s, twenties, thirties, but actually at the end of the war, when the fascists in Italy were under threat, obviously, because the war was going against them. And they were in control in Salo, northern Italy, in the lakes, Lake and Lake Combe, and all that area was under their control. And they had a base in one of these beautiful hotels, a bit like the hotel that we were sitting in. But what took place wasn't beautiful. They were in the hunt for Jews. And a Jewish family, this is 1944, Jewish family had hidden in that part of Italy in order to protect themselves from the fascists and from the Nazis who came and took over Italy. But this family were found. And were brought to this hotel. This place that would have been a place of entertainment and relaxation. Again, just imagine the autumn colours and the hillsides around the lakes of northern Italy. Many of us have been there. And yet this family was seized. But worse than that, and, and I don't tell you this to upset you, but their children in front of their parents were bound together by barbed wire. And were thrown. The parents were taken down to the pier, the leisure pier, and their children were thrown into the lake, bound by barbed wire. And then the fascists took the oars of the boats and used them to keep the children under the water. And the parents had to watch that before they themselves were garroted. And I'm telling you that, not to upset you, but as I sat there with all the beauty of the music and the setting, it just reminded me of just how depraved and dark the human heart can be. And of how even in the midst of all the good things that humanity can do, and of course we can do wonderful things, the wonderful advances of science and medicine and technology, we can build beautiful places and we can create music, wonderful music and use all those creative gifts to be such a blessing and yet there is within the human heart original sin that causes the very things that could be used for so much good to be also used for so much evil and so much death and destruction. There is within the human heart, all of us, a darkness, our sinful and fallen nature that at times can be opened To being persuaded, cajoled, programmed, influenced by disastrous philosophies and ways of behaving. And indeed those verses that we just read for 2 Timothy speak just about that. And I hasten to add, when it talks about people worming their way into homes and gaining control over gullible women, it should also be over gullible men. And within our own contemporary world, this world in which we live this world that I'm suggesting is in crisis and we hardly need to, we we just need to switch on the radios or listen to the news or watch what pops up in Yahoo or whatever it is in in the news media feed every time you switch on your phone. We live in a world, yes, with so much beauty and so much wonderful, you know, I mean, we've seen many of these places, we've been blessed to do that many of you are the same but we also live in a world where there is much that is darkly raw and we're not just speaking about the war in the ukraine and the terrible situation there we're talking about the subtle things that paul makes reference to here i'm not going this morning it's not primarily an exposition of all that these verses mean, but how there are people who can sway other people with evil desires, who worm the way in, and who play on people's vulnerabilities and their own weakness, their own struggles, their own challenges, and embrace ways of thinking that are at best stupid and at downright dangerous. We see that. Perhaps not as much within the United Kingdom. We unfortunately, poor Evan, (laughs) we unfortunately see that extensively in the whole movements, various movements within the United States, much of which has influenced much of the church within the United States. But we see that way of thinking conspiracy theories and and thinking that there are other things going on behind the scenes. We see that in an increasingly Weary view of authority based on a very understandable questioning as to whether those who are in charge really are in charge. And we've seen plenty of evidence in our own country as to how that ro- led to fall of a prime minister and all the issues around that. The whole Covid thing. We have the former chancellor now telling us that at meetings that were met at the beginning of the crisis that the medical scientific people who were brought in weren't questioned and weren't challenged about many of the things they said. And there's a very clear inference by the former Chancellor that actually they were cajoled or almost blackmailed into making radical decisions, which we all know about, which we know the effect they had on our society, on children, on older people, on everything else. But we were blackmailed into making decisions, our political leaders, without um, these these issues being properly questioned and reflected upon. And that's now... Who knows what will come out in 5, 10 or 15 years' time. And so we live in a society where there is much that would cause many of us, rightly so, to question and to think. And right from the very beginning, I remember sitting in the manse up the road there when we were having to do things online and encouraging us above everything else not to fall into the trap of becoming mindless Ottomans who just do what we're told, but to think and to reflect and to consider and to question. But the sad reality is that not everyone does that. People worm the way in. And not just that, Paul here makes it very clear that there are a whole change in the spirit of the age. People become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and says, have nothing to do with such people. The whole rise of materialism, the edification, the deification of humanity. The result of that, of course, is that rather than following God, they reject Him and turn away from Him. I could go on, but I don't need to. You just need to listen, and think, and reflect. And just to really cheer you up, as you know, the your heating bills are going up, Can I just, and I'm not saying this to boot for poverty, boop boop, a quarter of my salary what I actually get cash in hand, is now going to pay for the heating and the mass. So I feel, it's not that I'm somehow removed from all. We're all going to fall into full poverty. In some ways, I would suggest the next year or two are going to be worse than the crisis we faced with COVID. But Paul here makes it very clear that whatever the reasons for all these things, many and complex they are. Look what he says at the very end. They will not get very far, because as in the case of those men from the past, and he mentioned some apocryphal stories of two men. They're not in the Bible, James and Jean Jean Bray, but there was a story, an apocryphal story, that people knew about in the the first century, two magicians who had challenged Moses and Pharaoh's court, Just as... Um, it says, just as in the case of these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. I started this little talk by speaking about sitting at the, at the beautiful hotel in Madeira. I'm going to finish this little section by referring to a lovely garden. On the first Sunday of our break, we went to the Anglican Church in Funchal. They're having this church um, renovated at the present time beautifully, so we went and have a look at it. It's going to look beautiful at, at the end of it. And we sat outside in the grounds of the Anglican church. And it's quite a high church, I would say, you know, but then we hear we've got candle on the communion table, so it's, you know? Um, but quite high church. But uh, it was fine, it was fine. And interestingly, they followed the lectionary, the readings of the lectionary. And the reading for that day, sitting in this lovely garden was this. And let me just read to you part of what the reading was. It was the book of the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah chapter 23. And the challenge here is that there were prophets who got up and said, don't worry, everything will be fine. We'll sort it out. Does that, that sound familiar? <laughs> we'll sort it out. Just trust us. And let's listen to what I say. We'll sort it out. That's the challenge of what false prophets were saying. And The word of Jeremiah is, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fool you, they say, with false hopes. And then listen to this. I've heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? Listen to what he says, the delusions of their own minds. They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets, who steal from one another words supposedly from me. Yes I'm against the prophets. Who wag their own tongues. And declare the Lord's declares. Indeed I'm against those who prophesy false dreams. They tell them. And lead my people astray with the reckless yet lies. Yet I did not send or upon them. They do not benefit these people in the least. There are many today. Especially in the West. Who give false prophecies and behind it all that darkness that exists within the human heart is intent in leading people away from God rather than to God. You know what our calling is as a church and as Christians? It's to bring God's word. And the searchlight of the light of the Holy Spirit to expose the falseness, the half truths, the deceptions, the delusions. And to do what Paul tells us make clear that the folly will be revealed. So we're not to be overcome by crisis and calamity, nor are we to sit freezing in our home. We have to have confidence that in the midst of a world in crisis, God will show up the falseness of what so much of our society has embraced in order to reveal the truth of his word. Let's sing together a song which invites God to have mercy upon us. We'll remain seated. No, we'll start because we've been sitting quite a while. Let's start to sing this song. Seated, the world in crisis, and we spent time on that because that's vital that we understand that. But the church is also in crisis, I mean the church, the church in our country. If you want to turn to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, and these verses, chapter 4 of Second Timothy. And these verses, reading from verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. One of our members was telling me this week that the talk of the wash house, or at least maybe not the wash house, but the coffee morning that she was attending was the presbytery's mission plan for the Church of Scotland in this area. Some of us, perhaps all of us are aware that the Church of Scotland is having a major period of downsizing. Roughly about a third of all congregations will cease to exist and probably a third at least of buildings will sooner or later no longer be used in some areas. The reduction is large. We were hearing yesterday at the UF conference of up in the area of Maori of eight churches going down to two. And my understanding, what we hear and what I've heard from contacts that have still within the church has got within this area the four churches that will be classed as Uddickson or Baldwell, Uddickson Burnham Head, View Park, Uddickson Old, and Baldwell Parish Church will be reduced down to two. Which means that sooner or later, and it may well be later, that Uddington Old will be united with bothwell Parish Church. And those of us who have been in this church for some time, it's hard not to have a bit of a wry smile on your lips. But that's the challenge the church is facing. And you can imagine, those of us who went through that time all those years ago, will know what it's like to become aware of such challenges. A reduction and the combinations and the union unions that will take place. I have a good friend who'd been involved in the program. They're actually combining three presbyteries. Uh, there's going to be a new presbytery, Presbyter of Hamilton, the Presbytery of Falkirk, and the Presbytery of Atlantic are being combined. So whether you live in bonus or live in bigger, you're going to be under the same presbytery. And he's involved in the Presbytery plan. Can I tell you he's giving up parish ministry and going into chaplaincy work? He's got a real heart for that, but also because he envisages the next 15 years he has, he's younger than me, he's got 15 years or so to go in ministry. That all that will be do we're going around church, closing churches and carrying out kind of various forms of administration and overseeing decline. And we were reminded yesterday at the Dunblane Conference by a very, very able man. He certainly is, I mean I have to say, he reminds me of a, a friend of mine, the Reverend David Court, who in his youth was was an able guy, far more able than I am. The Reverend Peter Turnbull, Minister Burkehead, Free Church of Scotland, we have been reminded that yes, of course, there are individual situations where some churches are experiencing growth, although much of that growth is the rearranging of the deck chairs, people leaving one church and moving to another. But there are some situations, thank God, where people are coming to faith and some churches are doing a blessing, but that certainly isn't the case in Scotland per se, nor indeed the vast majority of the United Kingdom, unless you live in London and the greater London area, the southeast, where there is undoubtedly growth in the church, interesting enough, not not amongst the white Anglo-Saxons, but amongst the people who have come into that part of the country, but nonetheless, apart from that area, there is little statistical evidence to show widespread growth. Even maintenance is becoming increasingly an issue. And Paul, sending these words, these pastoral words to Timothy, the church had experienced in the book of Acts the story of tremendous growth from a group of, well, not 12, because obviously there was a whole group of others, but from that basic group of the apostles and that group within Jerusalem. By the time Paul was writing this letter towards the end of his life, the church had spread out. And there were hundreds of thousands of believers, all within the space of 30 years, barely 30 years, a generation. And that growth had, had happened in all sorts of different places, and all sorts of different people, and all sorts of different situations. And yet Paul is writing this, and you can see this and later on in your own homes, perhaps read through 1st and 2nd Timothy. Just read it as you would read a letter. Um, you don't need to re- understand everything he's saying, but just get the general drift of what he's saying. He's doing this because he has a conviction that while Jesus Christ will continue to build his church as he promised, the times are going to become challenging in a whole host of ways. Outside of the way, we referred to that, the challenges within the wider world, but also within the life of the church. Indeed, the speaker, yes, the Dublin Conference, had a very helpful introduction. <laughs> A comment was, really, the letters in the New Testament are written to churches that are in crisis. And it's true. You barely read a letter in the New Testament where there isn't some issue, some problem, some division, some heresy, some fallout, some situation that Paul and Peter and others are trying to deal with. It's always been like that. Because while this is God's church, we're human beings. And all sorts of problems can emerge. And people fall away. And false teaching comes in, particularly here. He's challenging this, he says, particularly to Paul, to to Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Speaking to my friend who is giving up parish ministry, which is sad because he's Anyway, he's a very good parish minister. But, and, and has expressed frustration at the state of what is happening. But I've said to him on a number of occasions, but my friend, I won't mention his name, but my friend. He, said, he was a student with me way back when it was in Mount Vernon. And I said, but fundamentally the issue is that that part of the church, anyway, has lost its spiritual direction. The very thing Paul talks about here has taken place. People have not put up with sound doctrine. They have gathered round them teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they've turned away from the truth and turned aside to all sorts of myths and speculations. It's a spiritual crisis that afflicts the church. But just in case we're sitting here this morning and think, well that's so true, blah blah, and we can Point the finger, whatever else. It's a spiritual crisis that affects the whole church, I would suggest. And Peter actually made reference to that coming from a free church background. You would think, well, they're pretty orthodox, which they are. But even within their own denomination, there are challenges. Because people do lose sight of the truth. They, they they make up their own understandings of how that truth should be communicated or expressed or understood. Indeed Peter and Paul rather in this letter goes on about arguing over words and senseless speculations. I was meeting with another younger man who's in ministry just before I went on holiday, and he started telling me this story about this person in America had said this and this person in Britain had put up this in their blog and, and and I just sat down with the guy and patted the shoulder and said What's it all about? Are you over words? Well, the world goes to hell and the church declines. But that, sadly, is the challenge and the crisis that the church in Britain faces. And in both sides of the church, yes, the side that would be thought of as being liberal, but also on the side that would in the past would claim to be evangelical, there's all sorts of battles going on and positions being taken and doctrines being watered down. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus in the light of the bad news about the world, is often lost in the process. Sorry for the pressure this morning. Just well, it's a sunny day. But interesting enough, as we close this section, what's Paul saying? Well, first of all, he says, keep your head. Verse 5, isn't it? keep the head. Keep the head in all situations. We're not met when we're faced with crisis and challenge. And one of the things that remind me and stirs me that many of the saints who are now in glory that were in this congregation 15 years ago, that in the midst of all the pressures went through, many thankfully kept the head. And how vital that was at that time not to lose it, not to be tossed about, not to be stirred up with all sorts of fears and anxiety, but keep the head. Yes, endure hardship. The road isn't easy. No point saying otherwise. But we're not all called to be evangelists. We're not all called to be pastors, teachers, but we all are called in our life and our living to commend the good news of Jesus and to carry out, to carry on, to keep calm and carry on as the posters declare during the last war, to fulfill the duties of ministry. Not to be filled with anxiety. Not to be cast down so we can't look up and look out, but rather with patience and with careful instruction, be prepared in season and out of season to stand on the truth of God and His Word. And it's those congregations who do that to their setting and their circumstances, that will survive the times of challenge and decline that is going on within our society. And chapter 2 of that same letter, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remember what I said at the beginning, the pastoral letters that are written from Paul getting towards the end of the life. We actually watched a film when we were on holiday. Paul, Apostle of Christ, it was actually, I find, a very moving film. It was obviously based on speculation as to what happened to Paul at the end of his life in Rome. But certainly, you know, having read these letters and these this expression from Paul, you can understand the hardship that he, as a martyr for the faith, endured in those latter days. And he's writing out of that longing to encourage the next generation. So he says in chapter 2, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all. As I made reference earlier, the, the main speaker at the Dublin Conference of the Denomination, and maybe next year more of us might be able to access it. I have to go honest; for a year or two, we weren't for various things. calls wedding three years ago, COVID obviously, and other things got in the way. But it was good to be with 200 people gathered yesterday in Dublin. But the Reverend Peter Turnbull, as I mentioned, a very, a very able young man. Well, he's not each every, he's got five kids, so he must have plenty of energy. Um, and probably, he's not as young as he looked. he's very he's, he's good looking, um, but very able, very able. But interesting enough, and I'm not sure if it was the main talk or whether it was the, the workshop, I know you were the second time around, but certainly the first time around I stayed for the, the workshop, the time when there was more discussion, and there was a sheet that he produced about various things. It was all about church revitalization, you've heard that phrase often enough. But one of the things he said in the early part of the the, the workshop thing, was one of the biggest obstacles to revitalization actually can be the minister or the leaders of the church. And he made reference to the fact that, uh, he was a great one for statistics, and he made reference to the fact that statistically, If a minister, a church pastor, leader, whatever references, is in a church more than, say, 10 to 15 years, then the chance or the opportunity for revitalization becomes less and less likely. Because the person themselves or the group of people who are leadership, well, they get settled, dare I say, the majority of the congregation gets settled. You know the old phrase, better the devil you know than you don't. And and there can become a kind of, well, you know, what I want to say to you this morning with all humility but also with all authority that is certainly not my desire to be a stumbling block to revitalization. Far from it. And indeed, and I've shared this with you before, more and more has been my burden my heart in these latter years of my time with you, whatever you know, period that may be. we are talking about a few years, we next week, less because I get struck down. But nonetheless, in this latter period, I too, like the Apostle Paul, I'm not Paul, but like the Apostle Paul, want, as Paul says here, to encourage the the next generation in the faith to be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want to entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There is a need to think of the future. And as I stand here this morning, as Graham stood here last Sunday, and as he stood here the week before, yes, it's lovely to see the saints, but we're hardly speaking to a packed church. Even with social distancing, there would be room for a good number more people. We're in a congregation where, thank God, how encouraging it was to see so many young people. But we cannot be expecting 8-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds to run a church. Nor can we expect simply the good parents who are sitting here, who are in their 30s, who have all the responsibility around the church. One of the biggest challenges we have as a congregation, and this is a real concern to me, and indeed others are noticing it, is they're not people in their 40s and 50s. The people who would lead a church in a time of vacancy, for instance, and who, along with the y- vertical, sorry about this, but this is verticomers, younger, would lead the church. Oh, that's a real concern to me. It's not our fault, it's just Statistically, it's the fact that there's not that many Christians of that age going about. But it is a challenge. There's either people my age, sixty and older, or people in their thirties, late thirties, perhaps, with families, and there's nobody in between. How are we going to face the future? A challenging future. Are we in crisis? Well, as Peter, very helpful. I'm going to try and hopefully they recorded his message. And actually, one Sunday, he might just come and sit and watch it on the screen because it was so good. Uh, I'm not suggesting we go and grab him out of our kettle, although you could do a lot worse. But I do think we need to think about these things. And so pray for our session. And pray that as we reflect on the fact, I have had a burden, as you know, for the future. And perhaps the possibility of looking for a colleague and successor, although that phrase is not used nowadays, somebody who would come alongside, who would be younger, and who would help us to begin to think of the way ahead, who would get to know you, young and old alike, in a congregation. And then, put it this way, a bit like John the Baptist, I would decrease and he would increase. And think about that as our elders are thinking about it pray about that. And that's why the Saturday morning prayer meeting particularly is so important. So get onto to Zoom if you have it and join us for prayer on the Saturday morning as we wait upon the Lord. Do we want to see this church close? No, oh, of course not. Why is it? It's not really. Oh, nothing to do with this building. Nothing to do with all that. It's to do with the work of God. It's to do with the things we've been talking about. It's to do with the challenges our world faces and our desire that this might continue to be a place where men and women and young people will meet with Jesus Christ. And here, in the midst of the lies that are told out there, the truth is found in the one who alone said, I am the truth and the way and the life. That's our desire. I know it is. From the oldest amongst us, Bless you. To the youngest amongst us, to our young people who are burdened for that. But we need to pray. We need wisdom for the future. Because I don't want to be the last minister of this congregation. But I could be, unless we wait upon the Lord and discern His purposes. Joy. With me, Paul says. And that's my plea, not just to folks sitting here, but to you who are in line this morning are listening to this, particularly if you're not a member of the congregation but are listening to this and have for some time, get onto the website, send us an email, tell me what you think about the world in crisis, the church in crisis, or perhaps the congregation that you used to be a part of and that's why you're sitting at home, because for one reason or another it's in crisis. Communicate. We've been told whether yesterday to use all these forms of communication. Well, please do so. Send it to the church website. You can just bend my ear and join me in prayer as we wait upon the Lord. Let's do that together. Paul says, reflect. And what I am saying for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And that's my prayer this morning for us listening here or online. That we will reflect on what has been said. And above everything else, Lord, that you will give us insight into all of this. We thank you that you are raising up a new generation men and women who serve the Lord and who love him. We thank you that yes, in terms of being a pastor and teacher, you're raising up a new generation of men to lead the church. We thank you for that. My heart was warmed as I heard that fellow yesterday. And we pray that already you were preparing someone to come amongst us to lead the flock of God entrusted to him into your purposes for the decade, for the years that lie ahead. And so we join together in prayer. We whisper listen to your word. We wait upon your leading and prompting. We ask for the insight that you alone can provide. And we stand strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. For us all, for his glory and for the extension of his kingdom that we